Welcome back to VMP Anthology, the story of Blue Note Records. I'm your host, Andrew Winnestorfer. On this, the third episode, Wayne's World, I talk with Don Waz, president of Blue Note Records, about the second two albums from our new box set series. As you know by now, you'll be receiving Lou Donaldson's The Natural Soul and Wayne Shorter's Schizophrenia, two albums that capture the soul jazz and the post-bop eras of Blue Note Records. In this episode, we talk about an organist on the Lou Donaldson album being the best bass player Don has ever heard, even though he plays the organ, and how Wayne Shorter is a single-person history of jazz. We also discuss how Wayne and Lou have carried on as Blue Note artists, even today. And again, stay tuned to the end of this episode for hints on the final two albums of the series, albums from the fusion era of Blue Note and the modern age of jazz. The saxophonist Lou Donaldson is one of the central figures in the movement that became soul jazz, which blended jazz with the sounds of soul music, like being made at Stax and Motown at the time, and funk and R&B. Donaldson was maybe the genre's most prolific practitioner, as he made a series of funky albums in the early 60s that more or less built the base for the rest of soul jazz to sit upon. His The Natural Soul was chosen for this very reason. It's an album that sounds like it's in conversation with Booker T and the MG's Green Onions, and it's a groovy, fun album that is a perfect encapsulation of the genre of soul jazz. Let's transition into soul jazz. Good. Uh, And I guess, you know, to me, the the thing that you notice, the big difference between hard bop and soul jazz, Mm because they're pretty similar. The big thing is you get the Hammond organ in Mm -hmm. there. You know, that. I I think that's an important characteristic. Um, I, I think there's a little more influence of. Of rhythm and blues, right. and 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 modern rhythm and blues, soul music, right? Uh, and I, yeah, because in early '60s, that's when that music yeah. is really starting to. Yeah, you have stacks, you have you know, yeah, yeah so Motown. You can, you can hear the beats are a little bit different, and of course, uh, the beats are so significant. They've been so you know, Lou Donaldson is one of the most sampled jazz musicians of all time. You underestimated greatly, most number ones ever, how long ago? You know what the Midwest is, young and restless, the restless might snatch it. Me and my girl, we got this relationship. I love her so bad. I dare say you probably wouldn't have hip-hop without these old Blue Note records to sample. Right. Um, and... Lou Donaldson was a bebop player, you know, same story. Yeah, it's supposed you know? to be in, yeah, yep. it's supposed to be on this, the first record in this box set, and yep. is now featured on the third. Yep, yeah, exactly. But you can, what I like about this album, The, the Natural Soul, is it's his, it's him transitioning into getting funky. Mm-hmm. And uh, he hired a, a great band. It's a, a John Patton on the organ and Grant Green playing guitar. And uh, what's his name? Ben uh, Dixon, right? Playing drums. Yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah. 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 And uh, and it's it's just a it's a masterful rhythm section. They're, they're funky as anything, man. And they made a whole bunch of great records. The, these guys. Uh, yeah, Ben Dixon and 
He played, he played with Grant Green and John Patton on their own records and Babyface Roulette and Stanley mm -hmm. Turrentine. I think Stanley Turrentine's brother, Tommy, is also Yeah, I think Tommy's the, yeah. uh, the trumpet player on yeah. this one. Yeah, yeah. And George Braith that w made records with this band. So they were really instrumental in the thing. If you listen to this album, you can hear that Lou is still playing the, like a bebop player a little bit. You know, he's, he, he's, he's dipping his toes into... R&B playing. If you compare it to Alligator Boogaloo, which is the, I think, the archetypal soul jazz record, you can see that he's playing it with more confidence and digging in deeper. Mm -hmm. uh, but I kind of, I love the way that, the, I love the juxtaposition of the bebop against the, the funky grooves. Right. Yeah. And one of the things I was going to, you know, mention about this is that it does, it feels like it's a Lou Donaldson record, but it feels like it's the guys laying down the grooves yep. or like the real like yeah. meat of the record. Yep. And then Lou comes in to cut some like pretty ripping solos yeah. in here. Yes. And then also there's some there's some swing stuff too. You know, it's right. not all funky. Yeah. Um, but it's it, it cap again, just like the uh Horace Silver thing, it captures this moment of the sound coming together, particularly for Lou Donaldson. Right. Yeah, and it feels these records feel like they're really in conversation with what is happening in R&B in oh, yeah. a way that, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah. John Patton's such a, he's such a great musician, man. I, I, love, I love the sound, the B3, the, the way he, he just knows how to work the draw bars. That's a, it's kind of a dying art form. Mm -hmm. Everyone's got presets on their computer, right? <laughs> and they're playing a keyboard. But these guys, man, it's remember, you know what the Joshua Light Show was at the at the Fillmore Auditorium, the old psychedelic light shows where they had the, if you if you think back to like going to see the Grateful Dead at the Fillmore, uh -huh. there was a light show behind them. Oh yeah, that, sure. And it was done like on an opaque projector uh -huh. <laughs> with like oil and stuff and it would just be these amorphous shapes that kept moving and they'd move it to the music. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with the draw bars. You know, the great organists, the sound is constantly changing and they always have, have a hand on the draw bar and maybe it's just the right hand and then they're playing bass with the foot. The great bass players... And uh, we have right now a Dr. Lonnie Smith who started re recording as part of this movement in the mm -hmm. 60s for Blue Note. He's back on the label. And we've put out two records of his that, that are beautiful records. And, you know, he plays bass with his foot and a little bit with his left hand. It's some combination of the two. And I'm a bass player. I think he's the best bass player I know. <laughs> <laughs> he's playing an organ. He's yeah, playing yeah. with his foot. Yeah. One of the things listening to this, I was not really familiar with Lou Donaldson mm -hmm. prior to, you know, us picking this record. Yeah. And it felt like I was discovering, you know, this like lost guy or something, you know, even though like, you know, some jazz people will know. Yeah. But I imagine like that feeling has got to be a big part of working at Blue Note where you can like randomly pull out like, you know, some some record by, you know, from 1962 by saxophonists who made a couple records and just be like blown away by what you're hearing. Yeah. Well, that that's one of the great things about the label. Absolutely. And it's fun to be part of 
digging him out. Although I will say Lou Donald's a pretty accomplished cat. Right. Uh, yeah. He's still alive, by the way, and still plays. I did he's, not know he's that. in his nineties. I just I saw him maybe six months ago just uh, at a at a movie. <laughs> he's in the someone made a, a a Swiss filmmaker named Sophie Huber made a great documentary about Blue Note that draws the continuum from nineteen thirty nine right into guys like Glasper and Ambrose playing on Kendrick Lamar's records uh -huh. and shows the connection between Lou Donaldson's records and uh, sampling and DJing and how that became the basis of hip hop mm -hmm. and where so many of the great breakbeats came from Lou's records. But he, he's quite a highly regarded cat and very, very funny guy too, man, great character. Uh, and he made a lot of records for us too right. and, and really transcends right from bebop into into funk if you were to try to tell the story of jazz in a biopic about a single person that person should be wayne shorter the composer and saxophonist grew up in Newark, New Jersey, and that proximity to Philadelphia and New York gave him access to both see and perform with jazz giants when he was still in his late teens. He joined Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers in 1959, cutting some records with them and on his own, before he was asked to join Miles Davis's second great quintet, replacing John Coltrane at Coltrane's recommendation to Davis. Shorter would play with Miles from 1964 to 1970, from the relatively traditional ESP to the jazz fusion freakouts of Bitches Brew. In the meantime, while Davis would take routine breaks from the road in the studio to find inspiration, Shorter would head out to Rudy Van Gelder's studio and cut a new record for Blue Note Records. He'd record 11 albums, classics like Speak No Evil, Adam's Apple, and the album we're featuring here, Schizophrenia which means he has to have one of the highest batting averages in the history of jazz. We chose Schizophrenia because it's an underrated album in the run of albums Shorter made during this boom period, but also because it captures the post-bop era to a T. It's an album that pushes out into light free jazz, fusion, and incorporates soul jazz and hard bop, but also sounds entirely new. Wayne Shorter never stayed still for long, and this is the album that is the nexus for him before he'd go out into full fusion territory with the weather report. So, uh, the next record up in our box set is mm -hmm. Wayne Shorter's Schizophrenia. Right. And we've already covered, you know, how much you love Wayne Shorter. Um, why why did you pick this record to represent the post-bop era? Well, well, it's an archetypal post-bop <laughs> album. But also, uh, I, I think you, you could say that post-bop is best characterized by, like, extended harmonies and uh, more abstract song structures. Uh, the definitive group was probably the Miles Davis second quintet that had Herbie right. Hancock, Wayne Shorter, Ron Carter, Tony Williams, and Miles. And this was recorded right in the middle of their run. 
1967. It's about two months before Miles Davis's Sorcerer album, which is one mm-hmm. of the great ones. Which we actually featured on In Vinyl Me Please as our record of the month in December. Like, yeah. Good choice. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so this is kind of of that mindset, although it's two months before. There, there's something, there's a song on it called Go that I think uh, kind of points to what Herbie Hancock was doing on Speak Like a Child, which was a year after, and that was, I think, 68. title, Schizophrenia, really has to do with the dichotomy of playing both inside and outside at the same time. It's, he's dealing with the, the, the music itself is somewhat schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. And he's transitioning from being a post-bop player to it's setting to what what came next, which is like albums like The All-Seeing Eye, which are quite adventurous. Mm-hmm. And he's actually can just continued the arc of adventure to the present day. Uh, but it starts out, there's a song called Tom Thumb that on the surface could almost be a horse silver uh, yeah. hard bop song. Yeah, when right? it starts, yeah. especially. When it starts, it's yeah. like, yeah. It, it's a very specific kind of blue note sound, but then you start listening to it, and he's not playing like everybody else do. <laughs> And nobody has read this some deep stuff happening, but it's still got this groove. And it the whole album follows an arc. It starts inside and goes out and out and out and out and out and out. But nothing that's that's gonna like send people away or, or empty out your party if you wanna put it out. <laughs> right. You can play the whole record. Uh, but I, I just think it's it's everything we we were aiming for in one record it really shows a guy pushing the envelope of music and it's not just one album it's like from song to song he's pushing the envelope of music mm-hmm. yeah and post bop sort of ends up as like a catch all term for where like before everybody got into like free jazz mm-hmm. and the you know modality like yeah. that stuff well it's occurring concurrently with ornette who who's doing the harmonic stuff, which is quite different. You, you, you can definitely hear the difference be, between uh, the two. Uh, so it ran concurrently, but I, I think there is m- there's more structure in post bop. Right. Yeah. It's not completely tearing down everything down to the floorboards, but right. <laughs> it's yeah, it's definitely changing the wallpaper. Yes, and, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well put. Man. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Wayne Shorter, you know, we mentioned how much, you know, he means to you, but he, you know, may have been like one of the most prolific players in the 60s. Yeah. He, you know, was on 14 Miles recordings and then in between was doing all of his solo material. Like mm-hmm. Miles was taking a break, Wayne was, you know, heading out to Van Gelder to yeah. cut a cut a record. Yeah. Uh, and also art, all the Art Blakey stuff. I mean, he was a really, he was, I think, the 
if they had an official music director, he would have been it in, in right. that period when he played with Lee Morgan and I think overlapping and uh, Freddie Hubbard and uh, and was a, a, a principal writer for that group. Mm -hmm. I think he's as uh, respected as a, for his songwriting right. and for his composition as he is for his, uh, for his playing, which is... Which is stellar, right? Yeah. yeah, and it feels like his the first fourteen years of his career. If you go from like the mid fifties until nineteen seventy, mm -hmm. he almost feels like a one person history of jazz mm -hmm. because of how like how many different artists he plays with, right. the different styles that he gets into. He like yeah, he's himself a history of jazz. He's he's. Yeah, he may be the most remarkable person I've ever met. I've gotten to know him quite well. He's back on Blue Note. Right, that's later. I was going to ask you about. Yeah. yeah, we can yeah talk about how he ended up at, back at Blue Note. It was, I was on an airplane, <laughs> with a guy named Kenny Hertz, who's a guy I've known for years. Happens to be Wayne Shorter's lawyer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd just gotten the job at Blue Note, and uh, he said, "You know, what are you going to do?" I said, "I don't know. I'd like to sign Wayne Shorter." He said, "He, he just." Ended his last record deal. We can do it. So we did. <laughs> and we put out an album called uh, Without a Net. Mm -hmm. And then this new album that he just made, it's called Eminon. It's a most ambitious undertaking. He Initially, it's an orchestral piece that he wrote and recorded with his quartet, which is Brian Blade, Danilo Perez, and, uh, and uh, John Patitucci, along with the Orpheus Chamber Orchestra. So it's inc incredibly moving orchestral music, but then he does versions of the songs live with just the quartet. And for good measure, he wrote a somewhat thematically uh, simpatico graphic novel. That's <laughs> 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 a companion piece, mm -hmm. and and it comes packaged with with the graphic novel. It, it's it's a visionary undertaking, and. Uh, just got it. Uh, was just nominated for a Grammy, uh, right? And, yeah. And how important is he, Wayne Shorter, to like the legacy of Blue Note as a label? Oh man, I don't, I don't think it's possible to overemphasize <laughs> <laughs> how uh, significant a, a, uh, an artist he is. For he's brought innovation to the label sure. in several different eras, mm -hmm. and I would say. Forget the label, man. Just music. He's mm -hmm. probably, you know, he's certainly one of the most influential musicians of all time and certainly one of the most visionary and gifted artists ever to walk the face of the earth and a beautiful cat, too. Beautiful guy. So there you have it. That's the soul jazz and post-bop eras of Blue Note Records. In our next and final episode, which will come with the announcement of our final two albums, we'll talk about albums from the fusion era of Blue Note and the modern era. This season of EMP Anthology is produced by Gabe Harder with help from Scott Gordon. I'm your host, Andrew Winnestorfer. Remember, as always, listen to more jazz. I bet you're wondering which albums we're picking, right? Don't worry, I didn't forget to give you your hints. The Fusion album has a cover from a classic rock guitarist who got very smooth 
towards the end of the 90s, while our modern album is made by an artist mentioned on this very episode. <laughs> 